Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville 35811. Or, after the service, you may drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Um, this week on Monday 11th at 8.15, Pearson's group meets in the church house. Wednesday the 13th at 5, the Goodson's men's group meet in the church house. And 7 um, is corporate prayer. Thursday, September 14th, Shipman men's group meets at Just Love Coffee at 7 a.m. Friday the 15th at 6.30 a.m., O'Neill men's group at Bridge Street Panera. And then Saturday the 16th, we have um, a Lincoln Village work day at the Academy, and we also have our trunk sale this Saturday. Um, that is all. Thank you. Good morning. It's a little delayed response there. Good morning. <laughs> Hope everyone's doing well. Welcome again. Welcome to the Village Church. If you would, please stand with me. And if you are able, as we sing, we have come into this house.
call to worship this morning is from um, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Please join with me where it notes um, people, and you'll find it on the screen as well as your worship guides. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Amen. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Amen.
Good morning, church. How you guys doing today? Good morning. Y'all should be really doing good. I saw them biscuits and gravy out there. I'm like, what is this? A five-star restaurant? Okay. Well, I'm just happy to be up here again. It's been a while since I've been up here. Just a word of warning. If you're ever around the pastor, don't mention that you're a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. He might not fire you, but you might be put on administrative leave. <laughs> My wife is not in here, which is good because she always tells me, oh, your jokes and stuff. Why are you always telling those jokes? So instead, I think I'm going to go, since she's not in here, I'm going to tell a joke about her. Now, y'all can't let this out, all right? Don't tell I said this. If, I, if, some, if it gets to, I know somebody in here told her, okay? All right, so this true story. <laughs> we were in church. Patience was up here, and she was singing. And then she stopped singing, and the Holy Spirit seemed to have come over her. I mean, it came over her, and then she started to cry. It was almost like she was in the Garden of Gethsemane. She was crying so much, tears of blood were dropping down her eyes. And the whole church was moving in the spirit. So my wife was standing next to me, and she had like this cloth up on her mouth. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is really affecting my wife, too. So I looked over there, and I was about to reach over and support her. And the next thing I know, she took the napkin down, and it was a donut in it. <laughs> you eating? <laughs> so <laughs> it just goes to show you just can't take for granted what you see. <laughs> well, um, I just want to begin our prayer. Uh, this morning, I'm sorry, last night, my family and I, we were uh, just saying, uh, thinking about God. And it came to me, I'm like, what are the first words in the Bible? And the first words in the Bible was, in the beginning, God. And that's just amazing. It's like God was there in the beginning of it all. It just shows how awesome he is, that he has always been there and will always be there. So I just want to just, offer up a, a prayer of praise uh, to just, uh, uh, just praise God for just being who he is. Dear Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for all that you have done. Just thank you for being God and, and just being so so awesome that we can't even fathom uh, the abilities and the things that, that you are. We just thank you, Lord, for having concern about 
just us little people. We um, know that this is a, a basically I heard this one day where it says uh, a small dot caught in a ray of sunshine is what the earth itself is. And everything that man has done has been on this little bitty dot. And you are so awesome that you care about the people on that dot. So we just thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to go ahead and have our uh, confession of faith. Uh, and it's from the uh, Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism. Uh, I'll read uh, the question, and you guys could please read the answer. What is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit by which convincing people. Thank you.
Could you all please stand who are able for the reading of the word? We'll be reading from uh, John 3, 1 through 21, and I'll be reading from the uh, ESV version. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do, the, uh, do things, signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it is or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up, the serpent in the in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believe in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whosoever believes in him is not condemned, but whosoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, least his works should be exposed. But whosoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And Lord, bless the reading of this word. Amen. You may be seated.
This uh, Resurrection uh, Advocate Sermon Series is an attempt to refill our leaking mission and vision buckets. We have to remember that mission and vision always leak. It's normal, it's natural. So we have to continue to refill uh, our buckets. But how are we going to do that? By being broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love through evangelism. We're going to see how Jesus functions as an advocate for the gospel. We're going to see how he shares and practices evangelism so that we might be able to walk in his evangelistic footprint through the power of the Holy Spirit. The sermon text today is John 3, verses 9 through 21. 
And the sermon title is A Pharisee Part 3, A Pharisee Part 3. Now, will you please pray with and for me? Holy Spirit, it's because of you that we don't have to feel no ways tired. It's because of you that we have the power to, to persevere, to have resilience, even though life is hard, even though there's difficulties, even though there, there are setbacks, even though there are times when we do feel like quitting and giving up. I pray that you would minister to each of us and to those emotions, Lord, to remind us That great is he who is in us than he who is in the world. To remind us that Christ has overcome the world. He has defeated sin and death. And that he has not stopped being Emmanuel. That even right now, he has made intercession for us. And even right now, he is with us as our good shepherd leading and guiding us. That even the things that we go through, that we're, we're, he's in those things with us. And sometimes he allows us to go through certain things, but he never abandons us. We are not orphans. We are beloved. Beloved sons, beloved daughters of a good father. And Holy Spirit, I pray that each of us will receive from this message and the rest of the service, the things that we need to receive so that when we leave this place, we can leave with a greater assurance that God is with us and for us and not against us. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. In John chapter 3, uh, Jesus has a, an evangelistic encounter with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he's a man of importance, a man of influence, and a man of status, a man of power. He is a Pharisee, which means he's a, he's a member of a religious group who, who adheres to a strict following of the Mosaic law. They even create laws in front of the law so they don't break the law. So they create more laws. So he's part of this group, and they are a respected group during this time. And Nicodemus is also a member of... Uh, of the Sanhedrin. That's what, when, when, John, when, Jesus, when John refers to him as a ruler of the Jews, he's, he's referring to the fact that he's a member of the Sanhedrin, and, and the Sanhedrin is, functions almost like our Supreme Court during this time. So Nicodemus is both a religious man and a politician and political. And, he, and his encounter with Jesus shows us that Jesus evangelizes people in positions of power and authority. He speaks truth to power. Jesus evangelizes Pharisees and politicians. He shares the truth with, with religious and secular people. And we are to do the same. Do we believe it? Do we practice it? TVC guests and saints, there are some evangelism principles that, that come from Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. And I shared some of those principles are a few weeks ago on the sermon through verses 1 through 8. And if you do take notes, I, I would encourage you to write these principles down. First, 
find connection points with the people you want to share the gospel with. Try to establish some common ground with them before you go into the presentation of the gospel. Second, don't be so quick to to go through your gospel presentation. Slow down. Let people ask clarification questions. And third, evangelism is a dialogue. It's a personal conversation. It's not a lecture. And fourth, evangelism does not regenerate a person's dead heart. Please write that one down. You sharing the gospel does not generate a person's heart. Regeneration is the Spirit's lane. It's not our lane. It's not the lane of the Christian. It is the work of the Spirit. It's not the work of the church. That the shorter catechism calls this work a defectual calling. We just make, set, we just confess that in the confession of sin. That defectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renews our wills. He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus as He is freely offered to us in the gospel. Regeneration comes before any profession of faith. That's an amen statement. Fifth, evangelism does not control how and when the Spirit will move in a person's heart. Sixth, evangelism is being fully present with people as we share the gospel while trusting that the Spirit is working even if the person doesn't make a profession of faith. you got to trust them. All we're doing is planting seeds. That's it. That's all we're called to do. Anything beyond that is outside of our lane. Remember, we are walking in Jesus' footprints. We're following his example. And in his encounter with Nicodemus, he's fully present with Nicodemus as he explains the mysteries of being born again. And Nicodemus, he's baffled by Jesus' words. He, his mind is unable to, to fully grasp what Jesus is saying in verses 3 through 8. So he asked Jesus, how can these things be? That's an honest question. Non-Christians may ask this question when presented with the mysteries of the gospel. How can these things be? Because as Paul says, the, the cross is foolishness when you think about it. Some... Some man died on on a tree, and his death paid for all my sin, but I don't even know why I'm sinful. And not only did that, he also rose again in three days. Like, uh, please make it make sense. I don't understand this. And and if I believe in this man, that means I'm going to go to heaven. At face value, it don't make no sense. It's hard to believe it. Even Christians may ask that question when you read something in the Bible. Have you ever read something in the Bible and was like, how can this be? How can this be? And some of us may even ask that question this week. How, Jesus, how can these things be? You see, Nicodemus knows, Nicodemus wants to know, how can it be that one can be born again from above by the Spirit? How can that be true? 
He doesn't understand the mysteries of new birth. He doesn't understand regeneration. So he's, he's asking, how can these things be true? That's what he's asking. And I want you all to notice that Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. Instead, he does one of the things he always does. He answers a question with a question. Look at verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel and you, you do not understand these things? This is a soft rebuke from one teacher to another. And Jesus' question implies that Nicodemus should have some understanding of verses 3 through 8 because of his position amongst the people of Israel. Remember, he's a religious teacher. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. And as one commentator says, A.W. Pink says, it's as though the Lord is saying, you are a teacher and yet untaught yourself. You, a light holder, and yet in the dark. What did Jesus call the Pharisees in Matthew 15? Who knows? Hmm? Yeah, but that's, he calls them that too. He also calls them blind guides. In Matthew 15, 13, Jesus says, they are blind guides. And if the blind leads the blind, guess what happens? They both fall into a pit. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night as a blind guide. He does he does he doesn't just he doesn't just, he doesn't just like understanding, he also lacks belief. He doesn't believe in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't trust Jesus' testimony. Look at verses eleven to twelve. Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, look at the listen to these pronouns. We speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. But y'all do not receive our testimony. And if I told y'all earthly things, y'all do not believe. How can y'all believe if I tell y'all heavenly things? The plural pronoun here refers to Jesus and John the Baptist. Both of them speak of what they know. Both of them bear witness to what they have seen. But Nicodemus and, and the other religious leaders refuse to receive their testimony. Y'all do not receive our testimony. Y'all won't believe if I tell y'all earthly things. And there's no way y'all are going to believe if I start talking to y'all about heavenly things. See, Jesus knows the religious leaders of the day, they don't trust him. They don't trust him. Yes, some of them are curious, like Nicodemus, but curiosity isn't trust. Others are suspicious of him. Think about it. None of us here trust people we have suspicions about. We don't. None of us here believe the words of people spoken by someone we have funny feelings about, and I get it. But here's the thing, TBC Saints, Jesus is different. The distrust and the suspicion placed on him is unfounded, for he is the only one who has the authority to speak on heavenly things. Wow, look at verse 13. He says, no one has ever ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So you know he's talking about himself in the third person. The, the, the message Bible says, no one has ever gone up into the presence of God except the one who has come down from that presence, the Son of Man. 
The Amplified Bible says, No one has gone up into heaven, but there is one who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man who is called and who is qualified to speak on heavenly things. For in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Come on now. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has overcome it. Let me put it this way. If Jesus was standing here today, he would have a shirt that says, I am him. I am him. That's what he's saying. I am him. But Nicodemus and the, and the other Jewish leaders, they don't trust or believe him. It's because they're in need of regeneration. That's why they don't believe. That's why they don't trust him. And that's why some of us don't believe or trust him. That's why non-Christians don't believe or trust him. The spirit has to effectually call people. He has to regenerate their dead heart. Because regeneration comes before any profession of faith. Regeneration comes before one would trust and submit and surrender to Jesus. But I have a question. Does anything come before regeneration? Take a moment. What has to take place to make effectual calling effective? Please hear this. Something extremely important has to happen to make it possible for any sinner to be born again from above. And Jesus tells Nicodemus what has to happen. He uses an example that he, that Nicodemus would know about because as a Pharisee, he knows the Old Testament. He definitely knows about Moses. So he uses an illustration for Moses' life to communicate to him what has to come before regeneration. So from the Numbers, 20, from Numbers 23, verses 4 through 9, listen to these words. From Mount Hor, the people of Israel set out by the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And they spoke against God. They spoke against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food. There's no water. And we lost this restless food, basically the manna. We don't like it. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. So many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. <laughs> we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord, Moses, that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses intercedes for the people he prays for them and the lord said to moses make a fiery serpent set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live so moses made a bronze serpent set it on a pole and if the serpent bit anyone he will look at the bronze serpent and live now look at verses 14 and 15 jesus says as moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have 
eternal life. What has to happen to make it possible for a person to be born again? The Son of Man has to be lifted up on a pole, i.e., a cross. He has to be lifted up. You got to understand, we are, like, we are the people of Israel in Numbers 21. We have sinned against the Lord God. And in fact, all people are born into a state of sin and misery. Sin is a debt that has to be paid with the shedding of the right person's blood. Because if it's dependent upon my blood and your blood, it ain't good enough. It's not innocent enough. So Jesus being lifted up on the pole is Jesus pointing to his death on the cross, which is payment on behalf of your sin. It's the only payment that can satisfy God's wrath towards you. Without Jesus' death, without his life, without his resurrection, being born again would not be possible. All this stuff I'm doing is foolishness. And y'all are idiots from coming here every week if none of this is true, if none of this is real. He has to be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have life everlasting. And here's the thing. Belief here is more than intellectual knowledge. It's more than just knowing the Bible, memorizing scripture, going to Bible study, quoting catechisms. It's more than just that. It's trust. It's surrender. It's submission to Jesus as Savior and Lord, Redeemer, and King. That's what it means. Just like the people in Numbers 21 look to the bronze serpent and live, we look to Jesus and we have life. There is no life outside of him. Young people, there is no life outside of him. All other saviors are sinking sand. And, he, only, and the only ones who will ever look to Jesus for salvation are the ones who are effectually called by the Spirit. He effectually calls people to trust and to surrender and submit to Jesus that he's offered in the gospel. So when we're sharing the gospel, we're, we're praying at the same time, Holy Spirit, call them. Call them. Let these words land on hearts that's willing to hear. This offers us a seventh evangelism principle. Are you ready? Evangelism isn't about your story. It ain't about how bad you used to be before Christ and, and who you are now. It's evangelism is Jesus' story. You ain't calling people to yourself. You ain't calling people to look to you. You're calling them to look to Jesus. Because you wasn't on that pole. You weren't hanging from that tree. It's Jesus' story. And it's pride to make evangelism about our story. Now, we're part of it, but we're not the main characters in it. It's what Christ has done. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Evangelism is us pointing non-Christians to Jesus. It's encouraging non-Christians to look to him and not to us. For whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. And such life is freely offered to you today if you do not know him. All you got to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. You will be saved. 
Look to him alone for all your peace, for all your hope, for all your significance, for all your value, for all your peace of mind. Now, I'm not, he's not offering you a life free of problems, but he's offering you the eternal Savior who will be with you to the end, no matter what you go through. Because as human beings, we are not completely autonomous. We need other things for our existence. We're not self-existent. So you do have a Savior, depending on is it the right Savior. And all your false saves aren't bad things. Sometimes it's the very gifts that God gives you. I came across an illustration this week that says, in the film Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, John Du, the Udanta, is Peter's surrogate father. And he reveals that he, he loved Peter all this time and tried to do his best to, to raise him. And in the end, he sacrifices himself to save Peter's life. Sometimes we don't realize how deep the Father's love for us is until we see him sending his own son. TBC Saints and Guests, it's important to understand that what Jesus is saying in verse 14 about the son, being, son of man being lifted up on a pole, it proceeds from the loving heart of a good father towards his enemy. Do I need to hold the sign up? Thank you. Thank you. See, Dan Carson says, eternal life is grounded in, in Jesus being lifted up on a cross, and the filling up of the sun, the lifting up of the sun is grounded in the love of God the Father. Look at verse 13. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is how much God has loved people, that he gave his only begotten son, his only unique, one-of-a-kind son, Jesus Christ. And God's purpose in giving this son is so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The incarnation is him giving up his son. The cross is him giving up his son. This is another, this leads to the uh, eighth Evangelism principle. Evangelism is us sharing that God sacrificed Jesus on a cross as an expression of his love towards humanity. We communicate God's love and grace and mercy through evangelism, not judgment. Not judgment. Resurrection advocates are sent to be are not sent to be messengers of God's judgment. We're messengers of the good news. We're walking testimonies of his amazing grace, not marching around condemning people to hell. That's not our lane. Who else gets the privilege to be walking testimonies of God's grace? Christians do. But often we can choose the opposite. Choosing the opposite is foolish, and I'm going to show you why. What kind of world does God send Jesus into? What kind of world is Jesus born into? It's a condemned world. 
It's a world lost in darkness. It's a world that's in rebellion against God. It's a world that's under the curse of sin. It's a world that's under God's wrath. And with that in mind, John 3.16 can read this way. God so loved the world already condemned that he gave his only son. So whoever believes in him should not perish by eternal life. So God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. But he sent him into the world that the condemned world might be saved through him. So when you're walking around condemning the world, like, it's already condemned. They don't need you to tell tell them that. Tell them something they don't know. God so loved the condemned world that he sent his only beloved son. So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, Jesus is giving in order to rescue people who are already condemned. A people who already condemned can be effectually called by the Holy Spirit in order that they may believe in Jesus' name. Look at verses 18. Verse 18, it says, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the Son of the only Son of God. But do we believe that? But do we believe that? Author and songwriter John Fisher wrote a small booklet called Black Horse. It tells the story of a black and white spotted horse who longed to be all white. So he was sent to a special ranch to learn how to think, walk, and prance like white horses. There said the horse, we learn how to make the most of our white parts, even how to pose to show the most amount of whiteness without looking unnatural, of course. The highlight of every year was when the white horse show came to the ranch. It was during one of these shows that the horse had a, a conversation that would change his life. As the spotted horse watched the show, a dark stallion from outside the ranch approached and said, Have you ever seen... A white horse? Well, of course, the spotted horse answered. Isn't this a white horse show? But have you ever seen a white horse? I see the white horses that come to the show, and some of us here at the ranch, we're almost all white. At this point, the stallion was starting to, to rattle something in the horse thinking. The spotted horse realized he, he, he only seen real white horses from a distance. He had never walked completely around a white horse. Look at the horse right now in the spotlight, the dark stallion said. Do you see all of him? No, of course you don't. And watch. When he's done with his posing and and he walks off in the darkness, do you see the light only shine on the pose, not the real horse? The spotted horse turned toward the stage stage and tried to collect his thoughts and He watched horses come in and come out on the spotlight, striking their poles with casual grace. And then with a light, a new light that was already illuminating in his thoughts, he he saw in an instant the folly of the whole procedure. How foolish he thought that it never occurred to him before. I'm not going to ever get any whiter by being at this ranch, only more clever at appearing white. Many non-Christians and Christians are, cl- are clever at appearing white. 
And you know what we are most afraid of? Being exposed for doing it. You see, these verses that come next, verse 19 through 21, it talks about why people are really afraid to come into the light. They are, because the light is not scary. The light is really safe. But people hate the light because the light exposes them. Think about it. If someone exposes you on social media, TikTok, Facebook, you don't like that. No one wants to be exposed. That's what we fear. Look with me at these verses. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hate the light. It does not come to the light. Why? Least his work should be exposed. For whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. TBC Saints and Gas, this is a, another evangelism principle, and it's this. Evangelism isn't really us exposing people's dark spots. That's the Spirit's job. If you take pleasure in exposing people's dark spots, I don't know if that's a good thing. It's the Spirit's job. It's Jesus' job. And you got to understand that when he comes into the world as the light of the world, and he, why do you think he exposes these things? He exposes these things, the, the dark spots, in order to convict us into repentance so that we may be healed. You got to understand even when you become a Christian, you still think you, you we still struggle with being clever, trying to hide our dark spots. But the more, but those who are actually in Christ, we come more and more into His light because when we come to the light, He's not exposing us to condemn us; He exposes us to convict us into repentance. The enemy condemns, He shames, He guilts you, He beats you up. He's the one who, who, who comes down with the hammer and whispers to your ear, told you you weren't good enough. Look at you. You still struggling with that? You've been a Christian for 30 years. You still struggling with that? When are you going to grow up? When are you going to get better? That's not the voice of the Father. That's the voice of the enemy. When the Jesus exposes you, you know what he tells you? That's why I died. I died for real sin. When every time he exposes you or something, it's just a reminder, I did that for you. Now repent and move on. You want to know if you're living in grace? How long does it take you to repent and move on? How long does it take you to embrace what Christ has done for you? There's a hymn that says, it's probably, I have a lot of favorite hymns. One, Patience on one today, and this is probably one of my third, my third favorite hymns. Uh, I guess my second one would be Before the Throne of God Above. This hymn says, How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. I would not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I would boast in Jesus' death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. 
That's the honest truth. We cannot really give an answer. But this we know with all of our heart. His wounds has paid our ransom. That's the gospel. That's truth. If you don't take anything else from this message, take that. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would take this and give this to others. Because as we embrace your love, we should be excited to extend that same love to others who we know need it. And so I pray as we close our service, as we go into some of the equipment classes, that you bless those times, bless those discussions. I pray continued blessings over those who may be sick, those who are dealing with different issues, medical issues, mental issues. I pray that you will provide and heal them. I continue to pray blessings over our church, over our leadership, over our bodies, that you continue to draw us closer to you, closer to one another. Help us to keep short accounts. Help us to go to one another when, when, when we have sinned against one another. And I pray that forgiveness will be extended and reconciliation, Lord, can happen. And I pray and thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. And I pray for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand, saints?
be seated. We do have a, a ministry moment from my sister Emma. Hello. Um, a couple things is this Wednesday we do have corporate prayer at 7. It, our topic this week is abusive relationships. So um, please come out and pray with us on that. It will um, be a discussion afterwards. It's in person only. And then um, starting next month, corporate prayer is moving to Thursday and the second week of the second Thursday of each month to, and moving up to 630. So keep that in mind for next month. And also after this, I'll be walking the neighborhood to pass out flyers for our trunk sale. And if you would like to join Hallie and me with that, please do. Thank you. Please stand for the Lord's benediction. Uh, next week, we will start uh, our evangelism training uh, next week. So I encourage you, we'll be here in the foyer, the foyer in the sanctuary after the sermon. So please join us for that. Uh, evangelism is one of the focuses for this ministry calendar year. So we have Kayla and Noah is going to be leading that time. So please join us next week for evangelism training. And here's God's benediction to his beloved. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in all hope. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.